issue of joy in frustrating moments. Show of hands, how many of you, like me, despise frustrating moments? Like, we want it to be easy. We want it to be good. Come on, show of hands. Like, the rest of you are lying if you don't raise your hand, okay? I was in a different message. <laughs> but we don't handle it well. Frustrating moments, like, none of us woke up today and we're like, hey, I can't wait. Like, I hope my day sucks. Like, none of us, Right? We look to wake up on the right side of the bed. No one's like, no one prayed last night. I hope I wake up on the wrong side of the bed. That would be, like, I hope my world falls apart tomorrow. No one, no one thought that. Can we be honest in church today? And so this letter encourages us with a pretty, with a pretty insane um, proposition. And we're going to read it in just a moment. Who was James? Well, James was, as we're going to read, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is an interesting statement because... James was also the brother of Jesus. How would you have liked that gig? Could you imagine being the brother of Jesus? Like his parents are like, hey, James, I need you to be more like your brother. <laughs> James is like, mom, um, he's the incarnate God. That's not possible. I'm just trying to get by. <laughs> so James has an interesting perspective, and so that's why what he writes is really important for us to, to read. I want you to check it out. It's going to be up on the screen. James chapter 1, verses 1. What it says. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a pretty bold statement considering that Jesus was his brother. Like, not very many of us get up every day to serve our, our sibling. Like, could you imagine? Like, none of us do that. Punch our sibling, yes. Serve our sibling, no. So James, somewhere along the journey of his faith, comes to the conclusion that he's going to be a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't have a familiar position with him. He doesn't have a, fi a familiar perspective with him. James is somehow has the ability to reorient the way that he sees Jesus to now he's no longer brother, he's Lord. And I think that that's important for some of us because we want Jesus to be a good idea. We want Jesus to be the unpurple Barney of our generation. Right? Just be our friend and, 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 and be nice and feel good and say some great things. But James says, listen, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. That's the Bible's way of saying, yo, what's up? Then he says in verse 2, here's, here's now. He, James is going to come out swinging. Watch what he says. Count it all joy. My brothers... When you meet trials of various kinds. Now, how many of you stop there? You throw the Bible across the room. You're like, nope, not at all. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This morning as we continue on in our series, I Found Joy, I want to speak to you from the subject, the paradox of joy. As we look at joy in the midst of our trials, will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we worship you. We thank you for this moment that we have today to bring honor and glory to your name. And God, I pray right now that as we've worshiped together, as we've broken bread together over coffee in the lobby, as we open your word today, I pray that it would come alive right now. I pray that it would do a significant work in each of our hearts and our minds. God, I know that your presence is here right now. Your word promises that where two or three are gathered in your name, you are there. And in your presence, we find freedom, and we know that who the Son sets free is free indeed. 
And so, God, in this moment today, we look to you. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. Speak to us right now in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and the church shouted. The church shouted. Amen. What is a paradox? Many of us have heard this word before. It's often easier to explain what a paradox is by simply giving examples. A paradox is used to challenge the mind and make you think about a statement in a new way. It offers a new perspective, a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing things. A paradox is often used to intrigue and to question common thoughts. Take the statement, less is more. This statement uses two opposite words that contradict one another in order to to prove a point, to make a statement. How can less be more? The concept behind the statement is that what is less complicated is often more appreciated. Here's some other examples of paradoxical statements that go like this. You can save money by spending it. It's a paradox. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a paradox. I know one thing. This is mine. I know one thing. I know nothing. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Here's another one. This is the beginning of the end. Here's another one. I love this one. Deep down, you're really shallow. Robert Frost said this, men work together whether they work together or apart. It's a paradoxical statement. George Bernard Shaw said this, what a pity that youth must be wasted on the young. And then Oscar Wilde said this, I can resist, any, I can resist anything temptation. See, a paradox can be thought-provoking, but, but also fun to think about. Here, here's some... Uh, paradoxical witty statements. I love these. Here are the rules. Ignore all rules. The first rule of Fight Club. Don't talk about Fight Club. Right? The second sentence is false. The first sentence is true. That'll bend your mind a little bit. I only message those who do not message. These are paradoxical statements. They don't make sense. Why Why do I share these with us? Because James offers us a paradoxical statement right out the beginning of his letter. He says, when you face... Various trials, let it be joyful. And many of us disagree with that sentiment. Because the concept of having joy in the midst of a trial, and the concept of having joy in the midst of frustrating moments, the concept of having joy when things don't go our way, that's a mind bender because we live in a society, we live in a culture, we live in a moment where the, the, the major thrust of our life is to have as much good things as possible, have as much joy as possible, but the only way to receive joy is to make sure that nothing bad is happening in our lives. So here's what we do. We work really hard to reject hard things. How many of you agree with me on that? And, 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 and James is going to use some language, and we'll get to it in just a moment, but he's going to use some language that's going to help encourage us. Because here's my aim today, church. At the outset of this, this moment that we are stepping into, at the outset, at the beginning of almost 2022, my aim is to strengthen our church, to work the muscles, to be the type of church that when, when fear comes our way, when frustration comes our way, when hard things come our way, when pushback comes our way, like James, we can say, I'm counting all joy. And it doesn't mean we're fake. How many of you have met a fake Christian before? Right? I, I struggle with fake Christians. Fake Christians are the one where everything's okay all the time. You're like, how you doing? Good. Right? They're hyperactive about it. How's life? So good. And they go high-pitched because they're lying to you. Right? I want to encourage our church. Can we not be that? Can we be an authentic church? 
Can we be the type of church? Like, I know how some of you guys rolled in today. Spouses, you were fighting in the car, right? Oh, you were going to town in the car, and then you got out of the car, and you're like, oh, good. You walked into kids' ministry to drop, drop them off. Like, you were a hot dumpster fire of mess when you were rolling in, and then all of a sudden when you got out of the car and you rolled up to kids' ministry, you're like, put it on, put it on right now. Everybody smile. not the place that we've been called to be. I hope we're the type of church when a greeter finds you and they look at you in the eyes and how you doing today? And you're like, I am a mess, but I'm finding joy in the midst of it. I'm a mess, but I'm going to lift my hands during worship. I'm a mess, but I'm going to, I'm going to give shouts of joy during worship. I'm a mess right now, but I'm going to clap all the I'm a mess right now, but I'm going to lift my faith in this moment. I'm a mess right now, but God is faithful. He's still on the throne. He's still working. And like Pastor Erica said last night, he did some stuff back then, so I'm looking forward with faith. Come on, return your neighbor and say, you're a mess. Everybody turn back to your neighbor and say, shut your mouth. <laughs> All right, listen to Romans 5. It's not just James that says it. Paul says it. Romans 5, 2 through 5. Watch him. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in grace. And then we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That's a paradox. To rejoice in our, in our sufferings, in our hardship. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Man, what a verse. I rejoice. Come on, that's, like, that's just a praise moment. I, I'm trusting Jesus with my life. Can I just say this for like just the sake of clarity? We have never been commanded to put our hope in government, our hope in culture, our hope in politics, our hope in money, our hope in people, friends, places, spaces, like self-care. Like that's not where our hope is supposed to be. Our hope is found in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. So we can have joy in the midst of suffering. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. He says the same thing. In this you rejoice. Every shall rejoice. Though... Now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice. Here it is. Rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. kind of joy is that? I'm not, talking, I'm not talking joy that you fake. I'm not talking joy because your latte was the perfect temperature today. I'm talking about the jo joy that's, that is, we rejoice with inexpressible and joy, and, and it's filled with glory. You guys remember, for those of us who are here, maybe you saw it on YouTube, Nathan Pinocchio a couple weeks ago. He was talking about Yod and Kabod and the idea that like God gives us his glory, but we give him our glory as well. We're not, we don't have the same glory as God, but what it's saying is that, that, that every part of who we are 
So James is offering to us this idea that when you are in a trial, we are to have the type of joy that gives praise unto God, gives him everything that we are, no matter what the circumstances. I love that. So when you don't feel it, we praise. We're talking a lot about praise and worship around here as a church. And if I could just kind of prophetically speak to us as a church, the reason for that is, is I think the future, the culture, the space that we are entering into as a society and as a, as a culture in this, in this moment needs the church to praise like it's never praised before. Come on. We need a body of faith that's able to be like, oh my goodness, like th- there's stuff happening around us. Like I think back to how I, I responded to some of the moments of the past two years and there's almost this part of me like, hey, can we do that over again? Because I would love to, I would love to respond differently. Think about that. Because like how many of us, let's be honest, how many of us freaked out at the beginning of everything? Like it was crazy. I remember I was at a pastor's event with, with about 16 pastors when we got word that everything was shutting down. And I don't mean to like bring us back to the past, but I think it's really important as Pastor Erica, what a word last weekend. Come on somebody, what a word. But I think it's important to look back as she was saying to see like, man, like look at where we're at from where we come from. We made it. We're still doing this thing called faith, not church, faith. We're still walking and some of us are limping significantly, but we're we're still going. You've still got breath in your lungs. And as long as you still have breath in your lungs, we should have faith in our heart. And as long as I have faith in my heart, I should have joy on my lips. And as long as I have joy on my lips, I should have praise in my hands. And I should be the type of person that no matter what is going on around me, faith is working in me and I'm giving him everything that I am. Come on, is there a praise in the church today? Inexpressible. I love that. James offers to us in his sentencing, in his, in his scriptural content, and the way he frames it and orders it, there's some really important words that we need to, we need to cue in on. So I want to I talk to us today, before we close, about four traits we must possess in the midst of our trials in order to experience joy. Show of hands right now, like, like just with as much, how many of you would say to me right now, I want to have joy in this season? Come on, how many of you? All right. So we're gonna work. We're gonna work through it. We're gonna we're gonna see what James offers us, and I think there's some very significant truths here. Everybody shout out. Here's the first thing: we must have a faith framed attitude. We must have a faith framed attitude. So this is what James says. He says, "Count it all joy. Count it all joy. A faith framed attitude is the ability to count something." A faith-framed attitude is the ability to look back, as Erica was talking about last week, and, and look at things and go, I remember that, 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 I remember that. How many do I got? I'm just going to keep on counting. I'm going to keep on counting until my heart awakens. I'm going to keep on counting until there's a smile on my face. I'm going to keep on counting until there's faith in my heart. I'm going to keep on counting because I know that God has been faithful, so he will be faithful. Every shout, count count at all. And I really do believe, how many of you are with me? I believe that attitude is everything. But attitude is not just something that we conjure up on our own. It does not come through sheer dogmatic willpower. 
A good attitude doesn't come because we got up on the right side of the bed. Here it is. Write this down if you're taking notes today. Joy is the condition of a heart that is set on Jesus. Joy is the condition of a heart that is set on Jesus. This is the Christmas story. The people of Israel were looking forward to the advent, the birth of the Messiah. And so their joy through Exodus, Erica talked about that last week, their joy through hardship, their joy through persecution, their joy through famine, their joy was contained with a hope that was set on something yet to arrive. And I just want to inform us as a church, while we celebrate Advent season, the coming of Christ, we look forward to the next Advent, the coming of Christ. So we have a hope that is placed in a risen and coming Savior. One that's communicated to us and prophesied about all throughout the Old Testament. We've got to Last night, or two nights ago, we were driving in our, in our truck. My wife was driving, and um, I need to make sure that that's pointed out because of the story that's about to come next. And so, um, so uh, she was driving, and uh, my wife, she grew up a little country, um, and uh, she used to drive in, in, in uh, high school in 1979, Chevy Silverado. It was blue with white racing, racing stripes. It had... Um, a lift kit on it, big old mudder tires. She rode, uh, she rode motorcycles, dirt bikes, um, and uh, she, she was, she was like, she was strong, right? And so, um, and uh, that's why I fell in love with her. I, I, and so, her truck, it's her truck that we own, um, <laughs> just for clarity's sake. Um, it's not mine. Uh, I drive a white Honda Accord. Um, <laughs> shout out to the environment. So. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so my wife's driving our truck, and we're heading uh, heading to go see some friends, and we're in uh, like the snow was coming down, and she uh, apparently was driving as if we were like in the Baja 500, and she was she was going, and she hit the speed bump, and we heard like the wheels just shoot into the wheel well, she's like, bah, bah, and then we went down, and the truck is like maneuvering really weirdly after this happened, and we thought we. Like, like flat tire or something like that, or we were sliding in the snow because it was really musty, mushy, so she put the four-wheel drive on it, and it's still sliding. We're like, something's wrong. I'm like, yeah, you broke something. Um, so we pull over, and sure enough, I get out of the truck, and the tires, like, folded in. And, like, the tire fell off. And so we're standing there, and I'm not going to lie, like, situations like, like, I'm preaching. I, listen, I don't preach from a pulpit of perfection. Situations like this drive me insane, right? Um, and they cause great tension between her and I. Because the first thing that I wanted to say was like, really? You're going to drive like that in the middle of a snowstorm? Perfect. Yeah, you broke your truck. And um, so, I just, so we called our friends and we're like, hey, um, you need to rescue us. My wife broke her truck. And so... Um, so they come down, we get out of the car, the, the thing's folded down. So we're standing in a snowstorm, and I'm calling a tow truck driver. And uh, so he's got to come up, I meet him, and stand outside. And uh, shout out to Trey, the, uh, the tow driver. I love you, man. Thank you. And uh, here we go. Is that better, guys? Um, and so, so Trey, Trey comes out, he gets out of his tow truck, big guy. 
was in my truck. My wife was in the truck. It's broken, not because of the devil, but because of my wife, okay? Maybe I screwed up and turned on the microphone. Some crap story right there. We oversteered for about five minutes, making sure that no one was inside. What do you think?
secret, like salt bread that's happened for a little while, right? The girls are like, the guys are like,
Thank you. 